Blog Talk Radio. Well, this is BC Radio Live with Philip and Eric, live online at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. Aloha. Tonight on BC Radio Live, we're going to chat with Colleen Sell about her book, A Cup of Comfort for Breast Cancer Survivors. And before that, we will speak to Janet Horn, author of The Smart Woman's Guide to Midlife and Beyond. But before that, however, we will hear from Delaney Gibson, whose album The Worst Kind of Way debuted this year. This is Wednesday, November 12th, and this is an emphasis on women edition of BC Radio Live. The chat well, it is sure is, open. man. <laughs> and, and the, the ironic distaff. part is... It's the distaff show. <laughs> the, the ironic part is this is one of the very few weeks when our normal female co-host is unavailable. <laughs> the chat room is now open at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. The live video feed is now running. I'm Philip Wynn. I'm the button pusher for BC Radio Live and Chief Geek at BC Magazine. And I am joined tonight, uh, as you've already heard, by BC Magazine's founder and publisher, Eric Olson. Lisa McKay is away tonight at an event with Bruce Campbell. Well, hello, Eric. Philip, how are you? I, I neglected to mention I persuaded Don to call in at least during oh. our our two uh, female authors. Um, not not that the authors are female, but the books are are decidedly right, right, right. female. After, after and, all, Delaney, Delaney's a woman, and I, I quite enjoy the music. I don't think that'll be a problem. But I, no, I, no, I we'll we'll, admit, we'll handle little, that one. We'll, we'll I've got a little that. trouble relating to uh, midlife women's midlife health crises. Or, uh, or breast cancer. Dawn said she had similar issues with the with the midlife situation there. <laughs> she not being 50 or anything yet. Right, right. Oh, well, we'll do what we can. So how, how have you been doing this week, by the way? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. We're, uh, you know, we're plugging away. We're making progress. We're our first real big, as, we, as we've mentioned before, big Technorati project since we were acquired is... Uh, uh, ah, we could say it now. It's close enough. We're writing uh, tag description articles, and they'll appear on all their, on all the tag pages. Well, not all of them, but all the ones that we do. And so, you know, it's been a whole new way of writing and and marshalling our forces and all of that. And and actually, it's gone quite smoothly. We, you know, the only kind of bump we had was uh, was was completely understandable. We hit Halloween, and then the election just a few days after that. And so, you know, nothing much happened for about a week. But other than that, we've been making good progress, and we should we should debut on uh, the Technorati site next week with at least uh, 500 of these articles, yeah. which is a lot if you think about it. Sure. And ho- hopefully uh, by the time we go on the air next week, I, I think that's, that's when we're hoping to launch is Wednesday. So we'll yeah. be able to give a report that everything is going well. Yeah, these guys, you know, being all professional and stuff, uh, kind of test stuff and whatnot. I said, test? What do you mean? What are you talking about? Test. <laughs> you know, you you do it, and then you, it goes live, right? Uh, no, there's another intermediary step that uh, I was somewhat unaware of where they, you know, try it out, see if it works, make sure it's not going to break anything. And thought, man, what a bunch of wimps, man. <laughs> yeah, Live on the yeah. edge. I'm afraid you've been a little spoiled by my, hey, I've got an idea, oh, and two hours later it's live on the site uh, approach, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get plugged into things. Well, when you're dealing on the scale and the volume and the, uh, you know, just when there's as much at stake, then uh, I guess yeah. you've got to test stuff out in advance. Sure. Well, uh, 
we we do want to hurry up actually I, I think and get to talk to Delaney Gibson and, and, yeah. and hear some of her music. So uh, so let's and her crazy off. red hair. <laughs> well, this is BC Radio Live, live every week at BlogTalkRadio.com/slash/BCRadio. Uh, co-hosting with Eric, I'm Philip. Delaney Gibson's new album is called The Worst Kind of Way. So let's start off with a sample of one of the songs from that album. Uh, this is Chicago. Chicago from, or part of Chicago from Delaney Gibson's album The Worst Kind of Way. Her it was website, the North Side. <laughs> you can reach her at myspace.com slash Delaney Gibson or DelaneyGibson.com. That's D E L A N E Y G I B S O N.com. And uh, welcome to BC Radio Live, Delaney. Hi, guys. How are you? <laughs> we are super. How are you? I'm doing great. I love your red hair. It's so very red. Thank you. It is so very red. <laughs> is it really that red? No, that's a little, little bit of Photoshop and good lighting, but I, I do have red hair, naturally. It's just a, a little bit brighter in the pictures. <laughs> My wife has red hair, though though not quite that red. Yeah, no, it's it's like an auburn, auburnish copper red, so. Well, it's very lovely. Thank you. Well, I didn't mention during the intro that uh, that your EP was called Cruel and Beautiful. I'm, I'm actually a little bit curious. <laughs> I'm a little bit curious, at least, about the cruel part, anyway. No, it was just kind of about life. You know, life can be cruel, it can be beautiful, all those things. Oh. I feel a lot of people life, think it's about me okay. or someone, or but no, it's pretty much about life. Yeah. I love the cover, too, of the album. Uh, Thank you. It, what a great picture that is. So, I don't know suspend if it in mid-air. How do they, how, how they suspend you up there? <laughs> well, um, actually, it's kind of a funny story. But it, I don't know if you guys got the whole album, but the inside is the, the full picture of me jumping, and I've got balloons. Right, right. You've got um, balloons. Yeah. But um, actually, that was a very long photo shoot, and I couldn't even walk afterwards because I just kept jumping every two seconds. Jump up in the air. Jump, jump, jump. Yeah. <laughs> Quite painful, and I was in heels too, so that wasn't right. You sure are. That's sure that's an ensemble you have there. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, 
it's my it mom's is, a costumer, so. Yeah, well, as we, as I'm sure you heard when we were talking before, uh, before you were on, yeah, what a remarkable voice. I, I, uh, I, I actually hadn't even heard Chicago. It's probably m- more prominent there, maybe than anything. Where man, it is, it, it is naked. You are not covering up your voice with anything, and it is really strong and pure and clean. What a remarkable voice. Where did that come from? Thanks. Um. Well, I started singing when I was five. But I, I got my, I got my degree in opera, so that might have something to do with it. But I don't know. I just have always sung. It's been pretty much something I've done since I was five, and I haven't done anything else <laughs> with my life at all. So. Well, how old are you? Twenty-four. So not that. My bad. daughter is twenty-four. Really? <laughs> yes. She's a singer as well. That's fantastic. You're farther <laughs> along though. Eh. She's conflicted. She she hasn't dedicated herself. As have you. Yeah, you, you got to just yeah, do it. I, I had previously thought she was an artist, not a singer, so that tells you how conflicted she is. Yeah, well, she was an art She was an art major. I, I thought she'd probably go be a, some kind of music um, <laughs> major, but no, she, went in, she was an art major in uh, art and art history, and uh, I don't think she sang a whole lot for a few years, but now she's back at it again, so I'm glad I'm glad for that. So uh, you, um, I'm, I'm looking at your your influences, and and, it, and they actually make a lot of sense once once sure. once we hear you. You know, it sounds looks like a rather bizarre <laughs> amalgamation. <laughs> yeah, I've got yeah. Do- Dolly Parton, Chuck Palahniuk, Muse, Johnny Cash, mm-hmm. Nina Simone. Kurt Vile, Kurt Vile. I really hear the Kurt Vile in yeah, some of your melodies. On the album, I I do a little Kurt Vile, but it's a secret song. So yeah, you know, I I just get influenced by everything. I grew up on a lot of Dolly Parton, but then I also studied classical music, so it kind of fits somewhere in the middle, I guess. Well, it's it's all over the place, and yeah. you know, and and people might be surprised. I'm not sure if that's one of the songs that Philip has. But you know, there's certainly uh, you are perfectly capable of rocking out as well. It's really a broad reach, and uh, yeah, I mean, gosh, look at these reviews you're getting. People are really recognizing, uh, you know, that you are a, a different kind of talent. Do we have what what's uh, what tunes do we have? And and then maybe you you well, can pick, Delaney. Let's uh, let's go to another one. I've got uh, I'm Alive. That's that's probably the most rocking song in the album. So. We so we we will have your parameters. <laughs> Those are the two opposite spectrums. There we go. So let's uh, let's hear a little bit of "I'm Alive."
more abruptly than I expected. Wow. Oh, that's right. Because but, the but, but in what age? <laughs> it I, ended I, well, I though. I, I took advantage of a natural uh, break in the song to end the clip. Ah. That's what it was. <laughs> it, it, it ended well, big, abruptly, big but hit. well. <laughs> so that was I'm Alive. That is uh, also from The Worst Kind of Way, the new album from Donnie Gibson. And yeah, that that probably does pretty well chart the most uh, the most mellow and the most uh, unmellow that you get on the album. Or at least I heard some Tori Amos on that one. Yeah, a little bit. That's got a little. That was actually one of those songs I wrote about seven years ago, and it still made it to the album. So I definitely was influenced by her back then. <laughs> now you're touring through uh, through Southern California over the next. Oh, it looks like a few months, right? I mean. I'm looking at your MySpace. You're in uh, Ventura the next couple of days. Yeah. San Diego. I pretty much every other weekend. I'm back and forth between San Diego and LA and Ventura and Santa Barbara, and I'm hoping to get a little further up north and hopefully go to Europe it, in the summer. That's my plan. I was gonna say you ought, you ought to come a little east. We're uh, we're talking to you from Ohio and Texas, so. I just went on tour in the Midwest with, um, wasn't actually my music, I was singing back up for another artist, but I went to Ohio and it was beautiful. German town area is where I was at. <laughs> really? Yeah. Near, near Columbus? Yes. Yeah. Who were you but, singing back up for? Um, an artist named Arden Kaywin. She's also a local singer-songwriter from L.A. Sure. I know her. I mean, I don't know her, but I know her. <laughs> I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah, so that was really fun. I have uh, a couple of her CDs, put it that way. Oh, cool. I know her to that. I know her in that manner. That's nice. <laughs> Musically. So now, is that something you've done? Uh, I tend to work as much as I can. <laughs> who else have you sang with? Uh, I've sung with a couple people. I've sung with um, Barry Manilow and uh, Barbara Streisand. A couple people. Well, we've heard of them. I've heard of, yes. <laughs> How'd you so, hook up with them? You know, actually, it was in my, my college. I was getting my degree in opera, and we had an opportunity to sing um, at the Kodak Theater, a couple of people singing back up, and it was amazing. It was fantastic. Such a cool experience. Wow. Yeah, so we did that. and um, Did you get show. to know them? Uh, Barry Manilow a little bit. He was really fun to hang out with. Um, and he's old. Huh? <laughs> what did you say? I'm sorry. I said, and he's old. Uh, he is a very nice man. <laughs> well, of course he is. He's Barry Manilow. What else would he be? <laughs> no, he was great. He was really fun. And we didn't really get to uh, talk to Barbara. She was quite busy rehearsing and such. Well, sure, because she's got stage fright. Yeah, you know, she was. seemed like she was more concerned about her outfit, though. She was really – she changed a couple times in rehearsal. Right, <laughs> make sure she had the right costume on. <laughs> That's funny. That's yeah, fu- really. So did you didn't rehearse with her? Uh, no, no, we learned it and then just kind of went on stage and did it live. Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of, we, we, actually, no, I take that back. We did one rehearsal during the day, but that, I'm thinking the night of the show, but that was the day before, so, yeah, it was quite fun. <laughs> so, where did you go to school? I did some of my, uh, schooling at San Francisco State, and I finished up at Cal State Northridge. Ah, so I took Cal some classes Cal- there. Really? Yes, I am from Southern California. Yes, I took a couple classes there and a couple at uh, Cal State uh, Dominguez Hills. Yeah, Northridge was a great school for me. It was um, opened a lot of doors, a lot of really good contacts there. So. Sure, that's a great location. <laughs> you know, kind of right in the 
Right in the middle there, out in the, in the, what, the, the valley, valley, right? Yeah. Hot, hot valley. <laughs> so now where are you from? I'm from Ventura. It's my hometown. Ah. Yeah. So and when you're performing live, are you um, playing with a band or, or solo? Uh, it depends. I play piano and guitar, so I do, I do a lot of solo shows where it's just me on piano and guitar, but then I also have like a seven-piece band <laughs> that consists of like banjos, mandolins, cello, fiddle, drums, bass, guitars, lots of stuff. So it just depends on the gig. Are they, is, is that band the one that played on your on your record? Some of them are, um, but I, I had a few session musicians, a few of the band members, so it, they always rotate. They're all quite talented. <laughs> and I, I saw you worked with a couple pretty big-time producers. Did they bring in people to play with you? How did that work, working they with did, them? They did, yeah. They um, uh, One of them was Andrew Sinewick. He's probably one of the top studio guitarists in L.A. He's brilliant, plays with everyone. Um <laughs> He brought in a lot of people, and then I had friends, and so, you know, just kind of word of mouth. That's pretty much the way to get a gig in this city. <laughs> sure, sure. So, How'd you come up with him? Um, well, actually, we played in Arden's band <laughs> on tour. He was the guitar player, and I was the backup singer, so that's how we met. Wow, nepotistic, I, man. I know, exactly. <laughs> so, um, I... We just became really good friends, and I asked him to produce the album, and he said yes, and it definitely worked out. So I, I looks like, as I said a bit ago, you're getting tremendous response. That must be exciting. Look, uh, you know, the reviews really, are are glowing. Yeah, it's it's really exciting because so this album took me about two years to get done, and it was a lot of hard work and a lot of crying and <laughs> all that stuff. And it's just it's really nice to know that people. People like it, and people are really digging the live shows, too. So I, I couldn't be more blessed and pleased. Have you been playing live all along, you know, all, all through oh, yeah. the years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been probably performing since, like I said, five, and I've nothing else. <laughs> wow. Perform. Yeah, yeah. It's just kind of one of those, like, blessings or curse. Yeah. I can't really tell yet, because I... Well, I focus. It's focus. Unfortunately, yeah. we've uh, we've got we've got a schedule that requires oh, us to move yeah. on. Um, I, before we go, I, I do think we should hear one more sample from the album. Heck yeah! Uh, is there anything you want to say about the song "Happenstance"? Um, <laughs> funny story behind that song. Um, and if you come to a live show, I'll tell you. But probably not going to broadcast <laughs> this on on uh, online. But um, you know, nice. yeah, the archives for the show do live forever. So. Yeah, but it's a it's a good song. It's a sweet little love song. Aww. <laughs> right, well, this is happenstance. Who knew you would love me the same way I love you? And if you knew my secret ones to keep it inside your soul and didn't you feel me shaking I was taken by Can ever happen 
was Happenstance from Delaney Gibson's album, The Worst Kind of Way. The website is DelaneyGibson.com. That's Delaney with an E-Y. And uh, you can get to her MySpace actually from there. And thank you very much for talking with us tonight, Delaney. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was so much fun. Thank you. I love that last song, by the way. I think well, I, that, that may be my favorite. Thank you. Come to your show and, and I'll tell you the full story. It's quite <laughs> well, I am, I am tempted. <laughs> It's you have to come to Ohio or Texas. Yeah, we need a national I, tour. We, we're planning it, so I will let you know, and then you'll know the story. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Delaney. Good luck. Thank you. Well, this is BC Radio Live with uh, Eric and me, Philip. Join us live each Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. Uh, Janet Horn has written a book that should help I would say roughly half our listening audience, either now or eventually, though not actually Eric or me directly right now. Uh, the book is The Smart Woman's Guide to Midlife and Beyond, a no-nonsense approach to staying healthy after 50. And she's here to talk with us about it right now. So welcome to BC Radio Live, Janet. Thank you for having me. Gosh, I could have just listened to her the rest of the night. She was wonderful. Very sweet, too, huh? Oh, my goodness, yes. What a nice voice. The singing and speaking. What a Oh yeah. Sounds really, very young. really lovely. Yeah. Lovely. That will help you stay healthy. Yeah. <laughs> keep listening. That's a good point. Now now Philip, is is Dawn on the line? Uh not yet. Uh we actually uh sent out a little note here. Um, We've prevailed upon my wife to participate here. Great. Since, uh, but I know. do have to tell you that about eighty percent of the book is is very applicable to men too, and I always tell the guys you'll know which chapters don't apply. It's very obvious. A lot, but a lot of a lot of the chapters are are pretty um, not know, gender specific. Exactly, exactly. Well, why don't you tell us? I'm 50. Okay. Okay. So here, so here I am, right at the threshold. Right. Staring over the precipice, kicking over pebbles. <laughs> You know, try not to fall in. So, what are the what are the basics? What are the fundamentals for me to live a a long, happy, healthy life? Since I have, uh, you know, I got a younger wife and I got four kids between twenty four oh, and four. Oh, you need to stay healthy a long time. Um, I I think I can best answer that by telling you I I actually wrote the book with a very good friend of mine who. Um, is also a doctor. We've been friends for almost 25 years. We we did medical training together, and doctors we, have friends. We do <laughs> only friends at the hospital, though. Okay. We we sort of stayed in contact, and you know, I think with all of us who are in our 50s now, we came of age and we grew up in this extraordinary time for medicine, where we were all just healthy. We just had access to wonderful care, and suddenly. At age 50, you know, it's a machine, things start breaking down. And I think what the main thing, we we wrote this because all of a sudden our conversations were changing from, you know, the kids and the trips and the, and the, and the practice to, oh, my God, how's your knees and, you know, are you having headaches, that sort of thing. So we decided, and we were hearing from our patients as well, that they just were not equipped or ready for you know, the changes that were happening. So we decided we should probably just sit down and write about it. And I think the number one thing at this age is just 
what we're trying to do with the book is to just become educated and be aware of what can go wrong so that you know what to do about it. Do you have a website, by the way? We do, actually. Thanks for asking. It's um, smartwomanshealth.com. The woman's does not have an um, apostrophe, and it's an A. So it's smart. That's really hard to do in your URLs. <laughs> but you'll be you'd be amazed at the number of people who've written me back and said, you know, I tried and tried and I can't get it, and so it it doesn't have you know it's smartwomanshealth.com. That's All right. right, singular possessive, not not plural. Exactly, exactly. And look at that range of women. Isn't that a wonderful photo? We we were so our um, the art director at our publisher found that, and we just thought it was just such a great photo. It is. They all look happy and healthy. They do. Well, uh, I do want to invite to the show, actually, we have, we have on the uh, line Don Olson. Welcome to the show, Don. Hello, Philip and all. How are you guys? I was, I was listening in, and speaking of health, I was, I was administering eardrops to my son, who we discovered had an ear infection today. That did not stop him from consuming a giant-sized Kit Kat bar. Is that considered ah. healthy? <laughs> it just shows you that kids really rebound quickly with any kind yes, of problem. Yes, they do. So <laughs> that, that appetite, you know, I would say the appetite's fabulous. I, I, you know, the Kit Kat bar, ah, in moderation. <laughs> you know, well, it, it, it's is left over from Halloween. Oh. Yeah. Dawn is what actually quite a ways from 50 herself, but, uh, you know, maybe you can take notes, save them for later. Besides this. With Eric hitting hitting his fifties, maybe this will still be useful to you. Well, actually, we've had some um, some readers, some some older women at at some of our um, signings who have made some very cute comments. One said she was going to buy it for her daughters, who were one daughter was late thirties, other daughter was early forties, so she'd know what was coming. And I thought that was cute. And then another woman said. You know, those the 35 to 50 are really the danger years because, you know, women are taking care of everybody else but themselves. They're fairly healthy during those years. But then, you know, here, here you get into midlife and you haven't been watching, you know, yourself and it comes as a surprise when, you know, things go wrong. So I think it's good for, for all ages, really. I, so, I'm looking forward to reading it myself being a woman who is approaching you know I'll be 40 this year or well next year and you know some of the things that I see you're covering are the kind of things you do worry about and exactly that start to creep up on you that you didn't you know worry much about because you were just you, you were young enough that it wasn't an issue absolutely and, and you're, you know and you're covering obviously and plus the other thing is you're ha- obviously luckily for me I'm, I'm I plan on being married to the same person for many years but you know for people who, have, with the divorce rate in this country, right. you have people entering the world at my age, perhaps, you know, starting and older. And older. Right, or older, exactly, like my mother's age. And they need to know some of what's going on now. Things have exactly. changed since, you know, I began dating and that sort of thing. So this is a great book for that. Exactly. Well, we really drew on our experiences with our own patients. We actually have some patient stories in there that... Are, they're absolutely true. Obviously, the names are changed and a little bit of the details, but the actual points of the stories are true. And there's actually one story 
in the chapter on the reproductive tract about just that situation, like the 75-year-old woman who's back out in the dating world. And you do, they, you, you do have to know much more than you did when you were dating the first time around, or at least these ladies do. Well, absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, there's sexually transmitted diseases. Exactly. That weren't these, there. That weren't even that there. That weren't there then. when right. they were married, you know, back in the, you know, 40s and 50s. And it's it's odd because I what I think it's good, you know, you know I, I looked through the book and I saw the kind of things you're covering is people don't think of women, you know, in their late 40s and 50s being sexually active and obviously they or are. Or 70s. Yeah, or, or 70s. Yeah, we actually there was a very there was a stud a, a study that came out in um, uh, the New England Journal right when we were writing the book. We actually talk about it in that chapter, but the study was not meant to be funny, but it was kind of funny in that their conclusions were that you know women are sexually active into their 80s, and then the second part of that was if they're not sexually active, it's not because they're not interested; it's because there aren't enough men, so we sort of say in there, is this a surprise? Is this a surprise? So um, it's it's obviously a, lot, a surprise to a lot of uh, much older women, I think. And I think heart disease for the younger women, you know, for women entering their fifties, is not uncommon. And to you know, suddenly you've been healthy all these years, and you're told you have something going on with your heart. You, you really, we really feel like if, if you understand it and um, know how to take care of yourself. You're way ahead of the game. May I, may I ask? I had when I was thinking about this interview, I, I had a couple questions in mind. Sure. Please. And the one, it, I hope Philip and Eric don't mind me just taking over. I'm a woman. You know, I have these questions. Um, if, 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 <laughs> let's say you had, if somebody came to you and said, you know, what are the top five things if you could only impart, you know, five, three to five things on women? that they absolutely must do to maintain, you know, vitality, through, you know, as they get older through middle age and into their senior years, what, what are the top things in your mind that people, absolutely all women must do to, to really take care of themselves? And you can, um, you know, list as Great as question. Don't. Really, really a good question. Um, I would start with actually, uh, and we talk about this in the last chapter, you, you really need to know about screening, um, that uh, what, what diseases become more common after age 50 and what diseases each, each woman is particularly at risk for because of either family history or other risk factors. So for screening, you know, the... Uh, Obviously, regular mammograms yearly after age 50 and breast self-exams and, and if you can work it in a, a breast exam by a profession, you know, by a physician once a year and doing your own. And the other thing that's absolutely crucial that a lot of women don't realize after they've finished their families is they don't go back to the gynecologist. And as you get older, the, the cancers of the reproductive tract, like ovarian cancer and uterine cancer, become much more, much more common. So you still need to go back to the gynecologist and have a regular pelvic exam every year. And you may not need a pap smear. That's sort of up to some of your other risk factors. I think the other things that are important, and I think Katie Couric has done just such a fabulous job publicizing the need for this, is colonoscopy. 
after the age of 50. You need at least a baseline. And then depending on your other risk factors, you know, if you have a family history, you're going to need to be screened much more frequently than if you don't. We actually feel strongly about a baseline um, skin exam, seeing a dermatologist once at least in your 40s or early 50s to see if there's any kind of worrisome, you know, skin problems and do you need to keep being followed. A lot of people don't, a lot of people like, for instance, people that are fair with a lot of freckles, sometimes a cancer can hide in there among the freckles and you need to be taught how to look at your skin and know when there's a problem. And so we say, see the dermatologist. The other things are, are you need to keep up the same things you've been doing, which would be see the dentist, do your, you know, do uh, dental care. And uh, after 50, a yearly or every other year eye exam is really crucial, not even just so much for your vision, but because... Um, they're really after 60s, they're three eye diseases, all of which can lead to blindness, but all of which can, can the blindness can be prevented if, if caught early enough. So you need to go start seeing the eye doctor every, um, you know, every year or other year. And the two biggies that we both kind of were surprised about because they're almost a cliche, but when we researched each organ system, the, num- the two major things that kept coming up in the research were how crucial exercise is. Um, we've always known it about the heart. You know, doing cardio or aerobic really can prevent, you know, keep your heart in good shape and prevent heart attacks. But there's newer information just in the last few years that um, exercise is good for the brain, can actually improve your memory, can actually uh, prevent dementia or postpone Alzheimer's. Um, uh, for the joints there have been some recent studies that if you know before you get arthritis you're really working you know with the lower body particularly the leg muscles you can actually build cartilage back in the joint and maybe either delay or prevent arthritis so we talk a lot about exercise in each chapter and then in one of the chapters just as we were going to press um, for the first time the American Heart Association along with the American College of Sports Medicine, that would be the orthopedists, came out with their official recommendations for, for exercise. And they act, we actually include those. And it's not just cardio. It's, of course, weight-bearing exercises um, for, for bones. And interestingly, this has gotten a lot of um, press very recently, is how important it is to maintain your balance as you get older. And that sort of goes along with, you know, a lot, you know, with muscle weakness and everything else, you can lose your balance to do specific exercises um, for balance to prevent falls because falls um, are just a major cause of problems in, old, you know, in, in much older people and it'd just be better if you could just prevent it. And the eating, I mean, it's everything our mothers told us when we were growing up about eating healthy and you know we Americans especially have just not done it I mean there's an an obesity epidemic and right along with that is the epidemic of diabetes and it's really from our diet so it's the refined sugar and the simple carbohydrates the the Kit Kat the candy and the cake and everything that that we're eating and we also talk about um, 
you know, reasonable diets uh, and reasonable portions and all that. So um, I would say the, the, the top things you need to do over 50, it's a lot more maintenance than you're used to, is seeing, you know, like doctors for every part of the body on a regular basis and, and making time for yourself to exercise and eat well. I'm going yeah, to my phalange doctor next week. <laughs> working a lot harder to stay still, it sounds like. It, it is. You know, it's supposed to, like, it's, it's, wasn't it supposed to get easier as you got older and more senior? It's not. It's a no. lot. It's it much. <laughs> no, you know, it's much harder. You really have to uh, work at it. Make time and work at it. What I'm finding, what I haven't given up yet, what I've refused to give up, and so far I've been, you know, really just comes down to luck, I would I would imagine. I mean, I, I guess I've been trying pretty hard to take care of myself, uh, certainly my adult years, other than, you know, drinking heavily in my 20s. But anyway, uh, what I'm finding that I'm probably coming up against very soon uh, is that I'm going to have to manage my expectations you know i still oh. expect everything to be the same function great the same point. way Such a and great you know my eyes are getting worse there's no yeah. question i didn't even wear glasses till 10 right. years ago right you know for, i mean even for reading and here i am you know i'm a, a publisher on the internet i sit there and read right. the stupid computer screen all day long and but just in the last couple of years definitely declining <laughs> quickly with my eyes and uh you know, I've, I've had a kind of a recurring, and hopefully it's, I've, I've kind of learned what I have to do now, but I've had a recurring prostate issue. Man, you want to talk yeah. about humbling. Absolutely. That's that's grotesque. But everything else is pretty good. I mean, I, a lot of it's just luck. I mean, I'm thin, and, and I've always right. been. Right. Well, that's, my... that's not totally luck. I mean, you're keeping yourself that way. Hearing's another issue. I hear all the time from my patients who... You know, I don't think the 50s are very old. Actually, I don't think the 60s are old anymore, but the, in their Perspective 50s... It changes, doesn't it? It really changes. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when never, you'd never trusted anybody over 30? Yes. But the hearing, you know, is really where suddenly you're thinking, I'm not hearing on the telephone so well. And, you know, we tell people in the book to, at, at some point in your 50s, when you're still hearing well... Ask your doctor to have you get a baseline hearing test. So in the future, if you think you're not hearing as well, you can go back and compare and see if it's really true. But our particular generation with all those loud rock concerts and things, we're very prone to, you know, getting, in, getting into hearing issues. I had terrible tinnitus when I, in my late teens and early 20s. I was playing in... Oh, rock dreadful. bands in yeah. base, you know, cinder block basements with absolutely no, mm-hmm. you know, no, nothing filtering it. I'm standing right in front of my amp hours at a time every night, and so mine actually got better <laughs> when I stopped oh, yeah. doing that. Absolutely. The other thing we do talk about in the book, I should mention that that we think is really different from other books that are out there. My co-author, besides being traditionally medical, tr- medically trained as I am, she also studied with Dr. Andrew Weil for a couple of years. So she is really expert on complementary and alternative medicine. And what we do with this is we discuss it and integrate it into some of our recommendations. Like we'll say, you know, you, you don't want to start with one of the alternative medicine um, 
uh, therapies like acupuncture or whatever, but, you know, it has a place these days. If if other things aren't working, back problems, headaches, acupuncture is perfectly reasonable. She herself, wrote, my co-author, wrote two really good chapters, one on vitamins and herbs where, I mean, there's so many. We we had, our biggest problem with this book was the page limit. There was just so much to say, but she wrote on the most common, you know, all the herbs you sort of hear about in the vitamins, and she'll tell you what you really need and what you sort of don't, and what are, what's important is, you know, to be beware, you know, beware because these herbs and vitamins are not regulated by the FDA. And she wrote a chapter on the alternative medicine um, therapies, like everything from acupuncture to yoga to massage to prayer. So um, whereas we talk about the really traditional medical things, you know, like how to avoid a heart attack, we also both think there's a place for the alternative, um, you know, the alternative therapies. And also we don't agree on a lot of things, and we put that in the book, and we've been told that readers are really enjoying it because, you know, we're two different people have two different approaches and I think neither neither of us think we're wrong. But, you know, it's it's got to be, per, medicine's got to be personalized. You really have to advocate for yourself and tell your doctor your own personal, you know, your own needs and not just get sort of, you know, cookbook type therapy. For the for the alternative and and uh, herbal and whatnot therapy, any any particular standouts like things that that you you are convinced you know really do have a place and what they apply to. I take well, pff, Don will tell you, man, I take a lot of stuff. Well, you may be what what my co-author tells me has happened a lot in her practice is that she'll get people. She actually practices integrative medicine, so people come in to her for both traditional kinds of things plus to be to see what they need in terms of the vitamins and everything. The problem because these these um these pills are not regulated is you may be getting too much of something. You know, you may be thinking you're getting just a little but it's in three different pills you're taking and you're like way overdosing on it. The main thing she says are that one, you should really try to get all the all the nutrients and herbs and vitamins from food. Sometimes, because it's much better absorbed and it's a purer form, sometimes that's not so easy. So everybody, unless they have an absolutely perfect diet, and I don't know anybody who does that, <laughs> needs a multivitamin. And for women, they, you know, their specific needs over and above what a regular multivitamin um, offers, which is the calcium and vitamin D, which men don't need quite as much of, and then she'll go through depending on, um, you know, depending on what issues you're having. So if you're having some joint issues, in some people the uh, glucosamine and chondroitin really works well, and if that works and you don't have any, you know, side effects from it, you know, then that's fine. Um, she takes a lot more than I do, so she would tell you CoQ10, is really important, as would I have a cardiologist in my family who really thinks that's important, too, for your heart. Um, she takes, um, I just don't like vitamins, so here's where we disagree. I can't get them down. I feel lucky if I can get the multivitamin down, so I, I try to eat eat better. But she would tell you um, some um, a form of uh, low dose of selenium, which you actually can get, I think, from Brazil nuts, 
the, the calcium, of course. There is a very quiet epidemic in this country of uh, vitamin D being too low in women where you're just not getting enough vitamin D. Vitamin D is normally gotten by being in the sunshine. And since we all wear sunblock and are, you know, kind of wary of the sun for good reason, it's just been amazing that, you know, it, it's we, we're just seeing this now. Both Robin and I had our own checked, and we were, like, so low. We both had to go on really high doses. So a lot of the women this age I've had on very high doses of vitamin D to bring back you know, their level, and what's being found in the literature is that it's not only for bones, but it's important for heart, it's important for the immune system, it's important for the brain. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, uh, well, we, well, we, we actually probably need to move on in the show, so what okay. we can do is we can just we can, uh, remind people of uh, smartwomanshealth.com, that's uh, S-M-A-R-T-W-O-M-A-N-S, H-E-A-L-T-H dot com. And the book is called The Smart Woman's Guide to Midlife and Beyond, A No-Nonsense Approach to Staying Healthy After 50. And it's available right now at Amazon or, or through the smartwomanshealth.com website. And I should mention that it's, uh, it's actually written by uh, Janet Horton, who's, who's one of the top doctors in the U.S., and also uh, her partner, Dr. Robin Miller. So thank you very much. Thank you so time. much. It's a pleasure. I loved having thank both. You. Women and gentlemen to talk to. Women and gentlemen to talk to. That's great. We enjoyed it too. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, I have to admit that when I, uh, you might be confused at the title of this next book, our our last author for tonight. It's called A Cup of Comfort for Breast Cancer Survivors, and you might actually think there's a little bit of a pun there going on with uh, cups and so on. But it it turns out it's actually part of the Cup of Comfort series of books. Uh, they, uh, it's a, story, a series of 50 inspirational stories of breast cancer survivors uh, that may uh, serve as a good soothing remedy for the challenges that uh, you or someone you know may face. And uh, here to talk with us tonight about it is the author or the editor, Colleen Sell. Welcome to BC Radio Live, Colleen. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, it's good to hear from you. Um, and I'm not sure how much of, uh, of the last segment you caught, but uh, my, my co-host and I are, are, are both men, but we've, we fortunately have invited my co-host's wife to, to be on the show with us tonight. So uh, Dawn is here to, to perhaps get a little bit more out of the The, the feminine perspective. <laughs> now, have you written okay. all these oh. Cup of Comfort books? I'm sorry, I didn't hear the question. Have you written all these Cup of Comfort books? I don't write them. Um, I'm the uh, anthologist, which means that I um, I seek out the stories and I compile ah. the books and I edit them. Well, the that's stories, writing. Yeah, that's writing. The stories themselves are written by people, um, many of them writers, but um, many of them are not. They're not. They're people from all walks of life, and they're sharing their very personal stories, and I shape them up for them. Well, it that is, is about, still that's a lot of work. Fifty books. It is. About the twenty-eighth yeah, book in the series. Is that right? I think it is. I think it is. I've, I've worked on so many since then that I've kind of lost track. But yeah, it just came out in October, and um, there are almost fifty stories. There's forty-six, and most of the people who wrote the stories are actually cancer survivors themselves 
but a couple are written by the loved ones of um, someone who has survived cancer, a, um, a daughter, or a, one in particular that I really love. It's called The M Word, and it's written by Joseph Panatello about his wife's battle with yeah. uh, breast cancer many years ago, more than 20 years ago. And they're just really, um, I got almost 3,000 submissions for this particular book, more than with any book I've worked on so far in this series. And I was really struck by um, how much hope and courage that I read about in in the stories. I really expected to read a lot of very distressing and sad stories, and that wasn't the case uh, at all. It, I, I was just amazed at the spirits and the, and the courage of the women um, whose stories are in this book and, and that didn't make it into the book. Well, before we go any further, I should mention, I, I missed mentioning, uh, that there is a website for these books, including this one, and that is at cupofcomfort.com. That's what a coincidence. <laughs> what a coincidence. And you can find um, on that website the books that I am currently looking for stories for as well. Well, that seems like a really fun job. I mean, it how is. interesting. It is. I, I I started working on the first one around Christmas time, between Thanksgiving and Christmas in 1999, and it took quite a while to do that first book because nobody knew who I was. Um right. And kind of ironically, it came out in uh, September 2001. <laughs> so. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, just. People uh, were looking for a cup of comfort at that point. Yeah, we didn't know that would have happened, thank goodness. But, um, yeah, just before September 11th, the book hit the bookstores. Book and um, it's just sort of ironic because that book, and the first one, um, was filled with many different kinds of situations, life experiences um, that were inspirational in some way. That wasn't that wasn't centered around one theme like like this one is. But that's how I started, and and it, it was quite a bit of work. Each book takes about five to six hundred hours um, mm. altogether to to put together. So a lot of work, but also a, a lot of fun. I've met writers from all over the country, actually all over the world. And, um, and and these stories are so personal and so poignant. Some of them are funny that you really get, um, as the editor, I really get a good feel for who these people are, and especially when in working with their stories with them to, to get them all nice and, and tight and fit the book. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a blessing, blessing for me. How did you have the idea in the first place? And the first one was just, uh, the title was just A Cup of Comfort, so it was broad-based? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I didn't I didn't come up with the idea, and it's kind of interesting how I got involved with the project. I am um, a freelance writer and editor, and the publisher, uh, the acquisitions editor there, is someone I had worked with for years, for almost 20 years, and at various we were both at different companies, and we just had this professional relationship and had developed a friendship. So because she knew me personally by then as well as professionally, she knew that I was not doing so well right then. Um, my son was five years into uh, a not very promising recovery from a traumatic brain injury, 
and um, he had just been transferred to um, the state mental institution where we expected him not to ever <laughs> leave. And um, so I was I was really in the pits and not really feeling much like doing anything and not believing that there was too much comfort out there for me. Um, and Paula, the editor uh, at Adams Media, called me and said, I have um, an idea for a book series, and I think you're the perfect person for it. And it took her a little while to convince me that I that that I was, that it was a project that I wanted to be involved in because I really didn't think that... Uh, very, you were up to it at that point. Yeah, I didn't think I was up to it, and, and I just thought, you know, how can stories help people who feel like I feel? <laughs> you know, really, right. how can that help? But the amazing thing is that in the process of doing that book, um, I did feel better. It did lift my spirits. Working did. Um, for one thing, but also reading about other people who whose circumstances weren't the same as mine by any stretch, but um, nevertheless, reading about their experiences did help me. And that, so then I really knew that that we were on to something. And this is not a new concept. Other people have done this, um, and I just tried to put my my personal twist on it and and make sure that all the stories are really real that that they that they come from the people's heart and that they really have a, a good solid message and and they're not they don't whitewash any situation that they're really real true to life and yet are positive well i i would guess and i you know i don't want to be presumptuous but i i would guess that you having you know, had real issues, real difficulty, um, you know, that probably was a, prepared you extremely well for this because, you know, I, I could see where an editor for this kind of a thing, it would be kind of, could could get kind of, you know, cloying and kind of cutesy, whereas I think, I bet you're much better grounded, you know, in, in the real feelings and in the reality here, um, you know, of, of, of people in, having, you know, true difficulties in, in various aspects of their lives. I think so. I think that has helped me, and, and just having so many years' experience in um, writing and editing, but but really understanding, you know, the things that make us human and um, what's real and, and what's superficial. And I, I really make a point of selecting stories and helping guide writers into making sure that their stories are authentic, that the events and the characters and the emotions that are depicted will resonate with other people. will say, yeah, I understand that. I, I, boy, I, I've walked in your shoes, and I can, I can really feel your pain. I can really feel your joy. And I, uh, joy. I, I, I get it. You know, the aha, aha, aha moments only come if the story's real, if it's if it's not fluffy. So um, that doesn't mean that these stories are heavy. Um, sometimes they deal with heavy things, but, um, you know, and, and it's a realistic de- depiction, but there's always a tear and a smile in, in all things in life. And I think when we're really down in the trenches and really struggling with something, we need to be reminded sometimes um, that there is a light, we just need to look up 
you know, that that we can get through it and that in the moment that we're struggling, there is also something to hold on to. There's also something that will give us strength, and we just have to open ourselves to that. So I think that's what these stories do. And not all the books deal with um, challenging situations like breast cancer survival and Alzheimer's, which is another book that just came out. Some celebrate certain kinds of experiences and relationships, like we have one for dog lovers and cat lovers and horse lovers and um, sisters and mothers and daughters and mothers and sons and grandparents. So we, I think um, when we're going through tough times, we also need reminders of the blessings in our lives, and I think these books serve that purpose as well. I imagine the, the Mothers and Sons book was was powerful for you. It was. It was. My son is doing much better, by the way. I was going to ask. I was a yeah, little. Yeah. I didn't. I wasn't. I was fearful. I didn't. I didn't want to hear something bad. Yeah, you know. It, it, it was. And when they, yeah, he he actually it was a blessing in disguise being sent to that hospital because the um, resident whose care, you know, who was in charge of his care, uh, took the time to really check out what was going on and found a treatment that worked for him. A, a, pharmaceutical treatment that worked for him. So he's doing much, much better. Um, but, yeah, it's um, <laughs> it, it's been quite a journey for me, and I, I feel so blessed. The book, the volume that really hit home for me um, with regard to my son was the one on courage when we wrote about everyday heroes because I don't know a person who's more courageous than my son. Uh, he really faced some demons and held on. He was only 17 years old when he had his accident, and uh, he, he, he's come a long way, and, it, and only because he had the courage to persevere. Wow. Well, that's terrific to hear. I'm, I'm really glad that he's doing better. How long has it been now, then? Oh, my gosh. He's 32, so oh, wow. 17, so it's been... Almost half his life. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> half his life. Yeah. So, but yeah, he's doing well. In fact, he's at, um, doing taking a midterm right now at college. <laughs> Everything's delayed, but it's moving along. <laughs> well, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's nothing unusual about that anyway. But for, to no. have to be where he is, uh, you know, having gone through all that, that's that's terrific. That's that's exceptional. Well, uh, gosh, I guess we're down to our last two minutes. Hard to believe. It always goes quickly, and here we were all concerned about. How can we talk to women who write about women? What are we? We're not women. What's wrong here? <laughs> but uh, you know, I got. You daughters. know, women. You have women in your life. I got daughters, a wife, a mother. You know, I know women. <laughs> I I would like to ask Colleen a, a question. How are you able to um, pair, if you had three thousand submissions for this latest book for for breast cancer survivors? Was it really difficult pulling out the stories that you were going to include in the book? Yeah, it is. It always is. It was particularly for this one because many stories that were really wonderful, I just didn't have room for. Um, right. Yeah, but usually getting from the, the huge number to maybe 200 stories isn't so difficult um, because there's certain elements and that just kind of, that are needed in a story, that if they're there, they're there, and if they're not, they're not, no matter right. how. Yeah, so that part's not hard. It's getting 
it's getting from the 200 to the 50 that's really tough. And, and it just takes yeah, it a makes long sense. time. Yeah, it's just rereading and rereading. And, and also sometimes I have to work on the stories um, to get them, you know, to be the best that they can be before I can make that decision. But it does take a long time. And a lot of work, I'm sure. Yeah, but it's a joy. <laughs> It, this is the best. I always tell my husband it's the best gig I've ever had. <laughs> you know, I mean, most writers like like me who write for a living, um, we write a lot of things that are not that, you know, that really don't hit hit home. That really don't have a lot of personal meaning to us. We we do the job and we do the best job that we can, and the books go out there, and we hope that they um, serve their purpose not often that writers or editors get an opportunity to help create something that really is going to do some good out there and that you really, really care about. And so, you know, I've been doing this now for, what, nine years or so, and um, 28 books, I have I don't know. And it's, um, impressive. it is a great job. But you, you mentioned doing good as well, and I guess uh, we should mention that uh, for this book in particular, every copy that's sold uh, results in 50 cents being donated to the uh, Susan G. Komen uh, right. Fund for the Cure. So it, buying a book for breast cancer survivors actually helps uh, research into breast cancer. So it, it's it's a book that's doing even more good than your others. Yeah, and, and, and the publisher also made a $5,000 donation right up front to the Susan G. Komen for the Cure Foundation. So we really... You know they're they're putting their money where their mouth is. <laughs> so, and, and well, I mean, that has to be very gratifying. Absolutely, it is. It is. And and the other thing is the book is just the stories are are just engaging. They're they're interesting to read and and they're really heartwarming. I, and you know how you know? Because you picked them out. Because I picked them out, and it wasn't easy. <laughs> but they are. They they really are. I hey, I have one last question. I I keep kept wanting to ask. What's what's been the bestseller so far? You know, I don't know. I think the mother and daughter one uh, volume sold um, really well. Partly because it was O magazine. They featured it in O magazine, and Oprah gave uh, copies of it out to her audience. So oh that, well. That, you know that always shoots sales up, but. Um, other than dog lovers, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I was, I was going to guess dog yeah. lovers because it looks like you're working on volume two. <laughs> yeah, it just went crazy. Yeah, so we have a lot of dog lovers in this country. Um, but most of them, you know, most of them are very well received. The Courage volume sold really well when it was out, first out. And uh, we just, one, another one that just came out a couple, about a week ago is Military Families. And I'm really hoping that... Um, People will gift this book to their military family, friends, and and uh, relations. Well, I would but think that would have done right particularly well on Veterans Day. Yesterday, yeah. I was on the radio talking about it yesterday. I bet you were. <laughs> yes, I was. Yeah, but yeah. So I, I, I'm trying to think of the other books that grandparents sold well. They all do. <laughs> They all they all sell pretty well, but mothers and daughters and mothers and sons in particular really really hit home with people. You know why? Everyone has a mother. Yep, and, and <laughs> everybody has a mother, <laughs> and every daughter. That's true. Yeah, and, and every mother has daughters and sons. Good That's point. True. <laughs> kind of a reflexive kind of statement yeah. there. <laughs> 
Well, we uh, we have reached the end of the show for another week, so I invite all of our listeners to join us again next week. And uh, uh, the website is cupofcomfort.com. There's a list of about 28 different books there, ranging from the original A Cup of Comfort Classic Edition to the uh, the most recent or one of the most recent, The Cup of Comfort for Breast Cancer Survivors all full of inspirational stories, all edited, compiled, and assembled uh, by Colleen Sell. Thank you very much for spending time with us tonight, Colleen. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank yeah, I really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. You and uh, thanks also to uh, Dr. Janet Horn and Delaney Gibson from earlier in the show. Of course, always, as always, enormous thanks to Eric for hosting the show. And tonight, special thanks to you, Don, for joining us and helping boost our um, estrogen level in the hosting duties tonight. Appreciate that. I can always be counted to boost estrogen levels, if nothing else. God, yes. <laughs> she is a fountain of estrogen, that woman. Well, you know now, I, let's not go overboard. I've got a note here, actually. We didn't mention this at the beginning of the show, but I've got a note here that we closed out our last show by suggesting that the next time we meet we should know who the President of the United States would be. Uh, now, at the time, we thought that would be last Wednesday's show. We ended up skipping last Wednesday's show for a variety of reasons. But this is our first time together since the election of uh, President Barack Obama. So congratulations to the Obama family. And uh, we'll look forward to the inauguration in late January. Yeah, it was pretty pretty exciting. I, I don't think the... the um I don't think the winner, you know, was really a surprise. Although, you know, you just never know when when that, when you cross when you cross barriers, when you cross boundaries, sure. you just you never know never, never know. But I, I don't think his winning was, you know, just based on all the pre-information, all the polls. Yeah, the big, all, the big question was whether it was going to be a uh, a big blowout or a squeaker. And, and uh, it ended up being, what, 8%, I think, of the popular vote? So, so bigger than some people had expected, but uh, not quite you know, necessarily approaching blowout territory, but definitely a, a good, sizable victory. So that was... Well, it was... It, was, it, was, it made for uh, less drama. It was moderate, <laughs> you know, on the, on the popular vote side. It was reasonably close, certainly, there. Yeah. In fact, I think you've got to give McCain a lot of credit for getting as many votes as he did, because it really was, as every you know pundit has now said, it's obvious. It, you know, I mean, it really was a perfect storm against yeah. the Republican. Whoever the Republican Absolutely. nominee would have been, everything, literally everything, was aligned against him or her. And so, for McCain to have done as well as he did, and especially because he, he really didn't have a very good campaign. I mean, it's kind of a real, it's a pretty remarkable testament, I think, to his own personal, must be his own personal popularity. Yeah, he, he, was, he, was between a, he was between a rock and a hard place. On the one hand, he was probably the most well-liked Republican among non-Republicans. On the other hand, he may have been one of the most hated Republicans by Republicans. So right. if, if any Republican had a chance of winning, it might have been John McCain. But then again, you know, he lost most of his own party by being John McCain. So, yeah, yeah definitely, uh, definitely not his year. He has he's missed his chance. Uh, someone, someone in South Carolina hosed him in 2000, and uh, now this was uh, Barack Obama's time. So, anyway, yeah, it was certainly will, interesting. Uh, it was exciting and and very interesting and. Uh, Historic. Don't forget that word. It was certainly historic, and I think I'd just like to point out that every 
presidential election is historic. I know this because my kids have been studying all of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that there is no doubt about that. But but this but, yeah, one has I many think... more milestones attached to it Absolutely. than most. I think Absolutely. it's a pretty it's a pretty big deal. And we should yeah, mention... as, I, as I mentioned in an article for Blog Critics, uh, the first sixteen U.S. presidents could theoretically have owned someone like Barack Obama as as a slave, and yet uh, here he is, number 44, being being elected by popular vote. So, and uh, overwhelming uh, in the Electoral College, we should mention. Oh, that. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, this has been BC Radio Live. We broadcast live every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, so be sure to visit us live. Participate in the chat room, watch the live video feed. If you miss the live broadcast, uh, then audio archives are available online. Or you can subscribe to the podcast to have BC Radio Live delivered to you automatically each week. Uh, we do hope to resolve the bumper music issues we've been facing uh, recently, and you'll have a little bit of tunage at the beginning and end of the show. Uh, but until then, uh, have a safe week, and we'll talk to you next Wednesday. Thanks, Philip.